This is Doc Wesson, and in this episode of Gun Nation, Remington offers a brand new pistol, and it's not the R-51. Hmm. Taurus recalls the curb. And then we discuss trigger pull. All that and a whole lot more in this episode of the Gun Nation. It all begins right now. We're back and want to thank everybody for joining us. And we do not have Grant this time. So, as you can imagine, as it was last time, what, folks? What? It's going to be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grant is headed to uh, to Tennessee. Said he had to get in bed early. However, he's on the on the West Coast. That's really early that he got to bed. So, uh, I think he just didn't want to be around us tonight. That's what I'm thinking. But we've got Paul with us. It was also headed to Tennessee. Paul, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing great, Doc. Just four or five more hours worth of work to do tonight before my 4 a.m. departure where I actually drive to Tennessee as opposed to ride a bus to the airport in a plane. But You're going to be drinking know. beer all the way, aren't you? No, that would not be appropriate, Doc. <laughs> oh, not until you get to Tennessee. jeez. And we have Average Joe with us tonight. Joe, how are you, sir? I'm doing perfect. Thank you. Very good. And he's coming up. We've got a good, uh, a very good topic that he's come up with tonight. And we also have Melanie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Okay, fine. And of course, we kid her about the, it's Melody. We know all know that. But at the very beginning of the, once she started coming on, we kept tearing that to pieces and calling her Melanie all the time. So, oh. Uh, we know who it is, uh, but I uh, hope you guys have been doing well. Uh, Ian's not with us tonight. Uh, what we're going to talk about probably would be boring to him. So, uh, And like I said, Grant's not with us either. But uh, got a lot to cover, so I guess we'll just go right ahead and get to it. Uh, let's get a little news action with us here. The Remington has come out with the RM380, the little tiny uh, I think Joe, you mentioned it kind of looked like in the back and around the grip and everything it looks like the R fifty one. Yeah, and, and that in and of itself is enough to scare me away. <laughs> I know, Paul, you've got a comment. Oh, a comment, Doc. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> I uh, I just I just hope it it works out. Um, if not, I'm I'm hedging my bets. I I bought a new URL today. Uh, it was the uh, Remington RM380 recall.com. <laughs> and we'll just see how that goes. Awesome. Yeah, you could sell that really <sighs> high bucks. I tell you. And then buy a, an original uh, R51. R51, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting here. It's, uh, it's come out. Uh, Crossbreed Holsters have making a holster for it now. So they're, they're putting their money on it. Um, I noticed uh, that I did not receive a press release this time on it. (laughs) 
And of course, the the, the chatter that was going around the web was uh, none of the people that were, uh, I guess, non-controlled last time got an invite to this either. Um, so yeah, wonder well, why. What, what do you mean by non-controlled? <laughs> non-controlled, in other words, spoke their mind. Yeah, people that were going to be like. Honest, I don't. I hate to say that because I don't want anybody getting mad. That's you know did get an invite, but I'm talking about. Uh, uh, yeah, spoke their mind. Yes, <laughs> you're right about that. So um, you know, very interesting. Like I said, we didn't even get the uh, press release. Now it may be just purely coincidental. I did go back into the junk folder of the email to see if it was there, and I, which is where it would be. I mean. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm getting ready to rename that folder R51. <laughs> Look, we kid, we kid, we kid about it. And, of course, history, you know, they've had what they've had happen based on what happened, what they did and didn't do. And, uh, you know, but we do want it to work. It'd be absolutely wonderful if Remington did have, you know, well, the RM380, if they came out with uh, the uh, uh you know, the R51, and it worked great. We're rooting for them. We're actually really rooting for them. Uh, don't you guys agree? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned you mentioned the R51 there, Doc, mm-hmm. and it just, it just hit me. Um, I remember there being a press release last <laughs> summer <laughs> where Remington said, although they didn't feel there were any problems with the pistol, people could send them back. <laughs> Because they were going to be reintroducing the R51 in October. Yes. And it runs in my mind that was six, uh, you know, months ago. Yeah, yeah. And we have – did I get the year wrong on that? No, no the year's right. <laughs> well, they decided to come out with the the Rohrbach. Uh, I guess they kind of acquired them and uh, – uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, uh, the the little gun looks like uh, I think you mentioned Joe. It looked like the R fifty one around the grip and the side. the The main portion of the gun plus the the back of the uh, slide itself kind of looks like the Rohrbach, and the front looks like the Keltec, uh, like a Keltec gun. So I, it's not really the Rohrbach. I know that uh, Paul, you had mentioned something to the effect that. Uh, the Rohrbach wasn't really known for its... Uh... It wasn't known for a terribly reliable <laughs> yeah. gun in and of itself. And so um, I, I don't know. There, there certainly are some cosmetic changes. I don't know what mechanical changes have been made inside the gun. Um, but again, you, you mentioned history. Yeah, history. Yeah, we'll see yep. what happens. We'll see. Uh, Paul, you bring up a good point because uh, about the mechanics of it. Because uh, I fear if anything... Um, they would be looking at ways of bringing the cost of that down. And certainly it appears from the picture that it's uh, perhaps polymer-framed, which would bring the cost down. Um, so this will be interesting. I did hear one person talk about it uh, who said it would make a great addition to – the nine millimeter R fifty one when they re- as they're getting ready to reintroduce that, and that individual was standing next to a Remington representative in the video I saw. <laughs> so so we talk about history and we talk about 
um, mistakes. We talk about wanting to see success, but there are so many people that I see making the same mistake potentially again, and it it saddens me in my heart. Yes. What do we think about that? Mm. <laughs> yeah, pay attention to history so it doesn't repeat itself. And you're right, it it, it is. I mean, I hope not. I hope this turns out to be the way to go here. And I'd love to see Remington get in, you know, with their line of pistols that are just outstanding because we need something like that. I mean, the the, the actual concept and thought of the R51 when it came out was fantastic. We were all waiting with bated breath and mm-hmm. it just, you know. Well, you know, when when the R51 was introduced, there was a big conversation, at least I said, boy, this is the single stack nine I've been waiting for. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What's interesting is it looks like the single stack nine that I'm waiting for will actually come before the single stack nine that I was waiting, waiting for. Waiting for? If that's, <laughs> if, you, if you follow my, if you follow yes, my I, logic there. Yep. <laughs> yeah, gee, uh, I, I follow your logic 43 times. <laughs> Don't be a Glockhead, Joe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, um, you know, so I'm not going to run out and buy one. Uh, when are they available? <laughs> These are prototype guns they're shooting now, right? Prototype guns? Yeah. They, they, there were some people that made it very specific about the idea that they were shooting production guns. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is, is that Remington is saying that production will begin soon. Mm. So I'm not sure how they're shooting production guns if production hasn't begun yet. Interesting. Perhaps Remington certified that they weren't going to make any changes between now and the production. (laughs) (laughs) True, Mm. true. Um, Okay. We'll see. We will see. We want it to work. We really do. We kid about it and all, but we I'd love to see it happen. And I know we all would. Uh, I think that Melody will just run right out and get one. Uh, <laughs> you know, especially with that crossbreed holster. Oh yeah, I'm just with the Doctor Scholl uh, um, heel cushion on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only for AIWB. Yeah, yeah, but you know the. Um, I think, uh, Joe, you had mentioned the uh, <laughs> the crossbreed holster. You know, it's a pocket gun, but... Uh... Yeah, you know, it's kind of a pocket pistol. If I was going to carry that in a cross... If I was going to put on a crossbreed holster, I would be carrying, like Melody, I'd be carrying a Smith & Wesson shield or something... Uh, larger if I'm going to go to the trouble of, of uh, um, holstering that pistol. Yeah. Otherwise, okay. it's going to be in my pocket. <laughs> or completely, entirely under your belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Entire gun. All right. Well, we'll see, guys. We'll see about that. Uh, a lot of fanfare or lack of fanfare. <laughs> Selective fanfare, I guess, uh, this time. So. They learned a lesson, but is it the right lesson? We'll see. We'll they see. were shown a lesson. Yeah, that's true. Whether or not they learned anything from it is completely. Well, they, they they learned not to talk with let certain people get their hands on it at this point. But okay, we kid. But hopefully, it'll work. Really, in all sincerity, we we want to see those things come out with uh, with with Remington. Period. We 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 do all of the stuff. So. Tars Curve was recalled. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I'm shocked. I, well, I can't. I think Taurus basically on their on their they released a statement that said we <clears throat> we recently discovered that a batch of the new curve pistols uh, left our facility without the caliber oh ha, 380 auto prominently displayed. Just in case you wanted to cram that nine millimeter Luger in there, um, we are requesting that these firearms are returned to us for proper marking. There are no quality or safety issues with these firearms. The marking error has been corrected, and we are currently producing and shipping curves to meet the significant demand for this product. Hmm. Interesting. You think that's a ruse or uh Hey, you know, we've got this problem with the firing pin. Let's just say... <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Well, I'm sure it'll be. It will come out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, if they were not properly marked. Yeah. I wonder, you know, why it hadn't already. You know, if uh, I'm so they're selling these now, right? Yeah. I've seen pictures of them, but I haven't heard of anyone that's bought one. Uh, I have neither. Yeah. Friends don't let friends buy tourist curves. <laughs> that's why. Well. Well, I think some people are a little scared of them. I mean, because let's face it, it's a curved gun. Um, who knows what's going to happen? And it's Taurus. Yeah. I mean, you're, and you're, I guess, re- I'll say relegated to it being a right hander. That's very true. Yeah. Do they get any idea if they're going to make a left handed curve? I have not heard, nor the nine millimeter variety of it. I don't know. Curious. Curiouser and curiouser, I say. Left-handed the, people unite in protest. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Uh, if you want one, go right ahead. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you have to carry it boat out. <laughs> Maybe carry I, it. There's, there's no doubt that there is a demand for small 380s. We sell a ton of them in the yeah, shop. Yeah. Um, but the ones we sell the most of are the... Uh, Sig P238, mm-hmm. followed by the uh, Glock 42, followed by the Ruger LCP. Hmm. Interest. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they are available and out there, as you can see, you know, like we say, Remington has decided to come out with RM380. But uh, I, I just... Uh, I don't know. Very interesting that uh, they did not print. I mean, how do you mess that up? How do you not stamp the 380 on it? That is fairly suspect because that's <laughs> kind of required by law. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and my guess is is that's a, a spec issue with parts coming in from an outside manufacturer. I don't know uh, all the ins and outs of Taurus USA's manufacturing process, but a lot of the big players out there, in fact, most of them, have other folks that are making some parts. And so I can see that happening if, if it's not marked clearly on a blueprint and someone misses that and or it just doesn't happen in the setup because it seems um, not important to someone that's manufacturing a, a barrel or a frame yeah. piece that isn't actually a firearm part itself. I mean, that may not even be coming from, quote, the firearms industry. Uh, so I can see how that could happen. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't. It shouldn't happen, mm-hmm. but I can see how it could. Interesting. And if anything, it should be caught when the dealer is filling out the 4473 
Yeah. Because uh, you, you've, you've got on the 4473, you have to put down the information as it appears on the gun. Not the so box. It, you can't just write, um, you know, you can't just look at a Ruger and say, okay, this is a Ruger or a Smith & Wesson or a Glock. You've got to write it as it is on the, on the gun. Would it be on the box, though? Could you use the box? Uh, you are not supposed to. Not you are supposed to write it down as it appears on the, the firearm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how it was caught. Yeah, maybe. That could be how it was caught. Could very well be. I don't know. Well, I'm not going to rush out and buy one, so I think I'm... You know, Paul, you ought to get one to go alongside your R51. I think so. Yeah. We could have... Uh, I could carry the R51 left-handed. Yeah. And the curve right-handed. <laughs> And that way, you know, I would love to try one. I really would just to see how the aerodynamics or whatever fit. And, you know, just just to say, you know, hey, I've shot it. And to see, you know, magazine reload, all that kind of stuff. It's aerodynamics? Are you planning on throwing the gun? Say, no. <laughs> you, might, you might have to. Exactly. She's taking this thing on a helicopter, man. I can see her hanging out the <laughs> yeah, side just, of a Blackhawk, just ripping look, away. Look, it just flies don't talk to my right Glock. My Glock will tell you stories back. about being thrown through the air. Pistol mag. Pistol mag. <laughs> <laughs> Has a little cape on it. Well, I, you know, like I said, and, and well, it'd be nice if this thing would work good and have the right stamping on it. And, and we said it when it came out. Yeah. You know, conceptually, it's a, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, very good. Like to see out of the box thinking. Mm-hmm. And we just want it to be something that's functional and that works and mm-hmm. can be taken in a direction that's beneficial to the general public and so yeah. hopefully that's what happens exactly and this is way out of the box i mean it's you know what i mean uh but use the markings that are on the gun yes please it's out of the box but use the markings on, on the gun. gun on the gun yeah okay well very good with that now one for the wheel gun fans ruger came out with the sp 101 double action revolver in a six shot 327 federal magnum 327 um you know, uh, I actually, if you want to know the truth, that's pretty good. Uh, if you, if you know the ballistics of the three twenty seven, uh, it's it's fairly I, technically it kind of gets to the low end of three fifty seven magnum, but uh, you know, of course, it's uh, the thirty two caliber, and you know, you can get six of those in one of the small frame guns like that. And of course, SP one hundred one should handle it with <laughs> no problems at yeah. all. Um. Let's see what it says here on the release. They have its overall barrel length. Well, let me pull that part up. Maybe it'll help us out a little bit more. I can see it a little bit better. There we go. Um, so, of course, stainless steel, fiber optic uh, front sight, uh, which those are very nice, but they're high. Uh, I mean, high as in tall. Um, yeah, got to be. Barrel length, 4.2 inches. Uh, roughly 29 and a half ounces. Let's see. Capacity six, as I said, it's a satin stainless with the adjustable rear sight. Overall length is 9.12 uh, inches. Has a black rubber and engraved wood uh, inserts for that uh, grip, which look nice. Um, $719 is the suggested retail price on that. $719. Uh, I I don't know. I I guess the three twenty seven. There were some yammerings for people wanting something like this um, to be more like a de- defensive gun. I mean, 
But now I've never really known or seen anybody to have one uh, in a 327. Any of you? uh, I guess, Joe, you'd probably be more apt to if you'd sold something. I, you know, 327 seemed to wane fairly quickly after it was was introduced because Uh there were several people who came out with revolvers chambered in it. And those all seem to have gone by the wayside. Mm. Now, we did have a gentleman in this week who wanted to know if we had any yet. And and here's a tip for consumers. When they announce something, it's going to be at minimum two months before it hits dealer shelves. At mm-hmm. minimum. Uh, <laughs> you don't want them calling you, do you? Oh, <laughs> Here we go, Jim. Check the website. Uh, ch- 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 check the shop's website. You'll see what we have in stock. But uh, we did have a gentleman, as I said, come in. He wanted to know if he had it, and he was just really extolling the virtues of the uh, uh, three twenty seven Magnum. He says mm-hmm. it's a great cartridge. Well, and again, I don't have any experience with it, so uh, you know I can't say one way or the other. From a defensive standpoint. Uh, I doubt if there have been that many, if any at all, recorded defensive shootings where, uh, you know, there would be any data that looked at how the bullet expanded in human tissue and and uh, um, how likely it was to stop uh, an assailant or anything like that. Yeah. Well, like I say, you know, uh, technically, if you look at the instrumental energy of it, um, speed-wise, it, it gets, you know, 38-plus P up to lower end of the 357 magnum scale so uh, and and again i if they're going to use it in a defensive firearm i'd say the uh that sp101 would be the ticket because of the uh the heft of it you know it should be able to handle good recoil on it and whatnot but uh the heft of it the barrel length yeah yeah that's a long barrel length right yeah yeah so it's not a pocket this is no pocket gun uh unless you got like huge deep (laughs) uh pockets so, yeah, I, velocity I on it's like 1,450 feet per second out of a four inch barrel. Yeah. And we're talking about 115 grain projectile. So, you know, smaller diameter, a little bit hotter than the nine right. millimeter. Right. I, I don't, I don't know that that really makes all that much of a difference. Probably not. Speed. You know, Pro- if we got to 1,800, 19, 2,000, then we're starting to talk about yeah, hmm, right. interesting stuff that might happen there. But, but I think what they were trying to do is, I don't know what they're trying to do. <laughs> I Some mean, you know, guns. well, the thing came out originally, and, 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 and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they come out with that specifically in the single action first? Well, yeah, and and that's what this guy had. He had a single six in 327. Uh-huh. And now he can't wait to get the SP-101, which would make a, uh, certainly if he shoots that caliber a lot, having that in a defensive pistol or in a defensive revolver, and the Ruger SP-01, which is a – SP-101 is a great – Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. Revolver. Yeah. So, I, you know, I could see why he would want one to yeah. match well, and, up with and, you know, maybe, maybe they're not charging it as a true defensive. I mean, I I don't know. Um, well, don't Smith know. & Wesson came out with it in their J-frame for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't – That disappeared, though, didn't it? Yeah, I haven't seen one. Hmm. Well, and Spear makes a gold dot round for it. Okay. Well, there you go. 
But I, I guess originally 327 is kind of a wildcat cartridge. And then I, I want to say that it was kind of touted for like small game hunting for, in essence, why they put it in the 680, I mean, in the uh, uh, single action guns. I don't know. Maybe somebody can call in and let us know what they know if they know more about that. I'll dig into it a little bit more. It's an interesting cartridge. I mean, it really is. And like you say, you're now got six shots in a small frame revolver. Uh, versus five, uh, you know, in in the same instrumental energy um, area there. So, but like you say, does it make that much of a difference? I don't know. If they sell them, it does. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and I guess that's what they're going after. So, interesting, interesting. We'll see about that. Uh, I will say Ruger's doing some different stuff now. You know, they listen to us, and uh, they took that thumb safety off that. Uh, LC9S Pro. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing if maybe we're going to see the the uh SR9. That's one I'm waiting on. Without that thumb safety, Especially, that would be that yeah. would be exciting. And and in the um and the SR9C2, the compact. Mm-hmm. I think that will happen. I hope it does. I think you're um, right. because I've I've heard some rumblings that the only reason they had the thumb safety on there anyway was for California. Mm. And, you know, now they've decided not to sell semi-automatics in California because of the uh, laws that they have out there. Yeah. So that that thumb safety is, was never really needed no. and uh, won't be uh, certainly needed in the other areas of the country. Although, you know, I must say we do have a certain amount of people who come in the shop um, – who want the Smith and Wesson shield with the safety. Now mm-hmm. those are, I will say those are usually older people. Mm-hmm. Mature. Yes. <laughs> Agenarians. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. Do you see a lot of women coming in asking for it with this, with the safety or, or no. Uh, no, it's usually men. Who come hmm. in asking for it with the safety? Hmm. That's interesting. I think I've had one female customer ask for it with the safety. Hmm. Interesting. Well, interesting. Uh, yeah, you know. So hopefully they'll they'll do that. They need to do that. I think it'd be fantastic. Uh, you know, I've got the SR. Matter of fact, I have the SR nine C on me right now tonight and uh it'd be nice to I'd, I'd keep this one and just buy the other one without the thumb safety and that'd be the one I'd are, are we gonna play what are you carrying right now yeah okay i'm carrying a sig p238 with the extended magazine nice paul glock quote 18 yes you're chopped. oh the, the one in full auto uh, no, the quote. It's important. The chop down. 17. Cut His down chopper. Group group it's the Glock chopper. Yeah. And Melanie. My Smith & Wesson shield safety list. Oh, yes. And, uh, and she goes safety list. I'm living dangerously. Yeah, In a hybrid holster, Melody? Or? No, not a hybrid. Hmm. It is a, a keeper errand. Oh, there you go. Okay. 
with my cool little modification that I did myself, thank you very much, which has gone viral and has gotten lots of lots of uh, feedback saying it is the best modification ever for AIWB. And what what is modification it? is that? Yeah. yeah, tell me. Okay, yeah, so everyone just follows my blog religiously here. Only um, virus I've ever missed. <laughs> so, no, all I did was I put a... Dr. Scholl's massaging gel heel cushion on the bottom of the holster and uh, just for a little extra padding. And it has that wedge shape, so it kind of pushes the the um, grip into the belly a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh, so comfortable. Yeah, and it helps with um, plantar fasciitis too. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Except for, you know, I bought them new, so I don't have to worry about athlete's foot on my belly. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty ingenious. Uh so it kind of replaces the – kind of is like an extension and a more softer version of the Plan B. Kind of, yeah. And um, I don't, are any of you familiar with the um, the JM Custom Kydex ones mm-hmm. um, that have that tuck? And you guys are laughing at me, so I know I made a mistake. But um, it has that tuckable option that kind of presses out on it on the muzzle area. It's kind of like that. Hmm. Interesting. It's very comfortable. Well, I'll have to try that. What about you, Paul? Uh, I'm in a uh, uh, Dale Fricky holster. I've got an Archangel, mm-hmm. and I'm a huge fan. Mm. It does not have the extra girth adapter, which oh. is what Dale calls his little foam cushion on it. Um, but it does have a butt tuck mm. um, adapter that I put on it. So you can nice tuck holster. it up your butt? I mean... <laughs> There's a lot of women in Beverly Hills who have had the butt tuck. Yes. <laughs> There's a uh, a Kydex L-shaped little little fastener that can go on that your belt runs over the top of and it kind of extends the holster's profile out away from the the uh, the body and so when you tighten your belt down it it turns the grip of the gun in and the sights of the gun out so you get a little bit better profile. And uh, it's it's a nice adaptation of the holster. Very good. And uh, average Joe, sir, what do you have? Well, my my uh, two thirty eight is in a Remora holster, which is in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Um, When I'm carrying larger uh, handguns these days, I tend to carry a uh, CompTAC hybrid holster. They are very comfortable, uh, and I recently purchased a uh, CompTAC belt because uh, the Bianchi belt that I've worn for probably over 15 years um, was starting to curl and starting to, you know, the weight of it, the weight of the the gun and the holster was starting to pull down on the belt. And I, you know, we've said this before, but man, that brand new belt, and this one was double width, whereas my Bianchi was only single width, Mm -hmm. that makes all the difference in the world. Even when I carry my uh, Kimber HD, which is uh, full stainless steel Mm -hmm. uh, frame and barrel and slide, um, it does not pull down. It's very, very comfortable. It does not you know, cause any discomfort that you notice having it on. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, I've got mine in a Remora. Um, 
It, uh, you know, it's funny because one of the first things I wanted to read tonight was uh, one of the emails that I'll get to. It's mentioning a remora holster. Um, uh, you know, I, I like the remoras because uh, for me, you know, we're, we're not allowed to carry in, in our office. Uh, but, you know, I do like to conceal, obviously, when I can. And uh, we'll take it out and then put it in the trunk in the lockable area there that I've got. And uh, it's easy to take it in and out for sure, and it does stick. So I've, And they're not expensive. Uh, I like them. I like them. I've not had one yet. I do have them, but I don't have one that I've carried a small gun in my pocket in. But uh, they do seem to work. They seem to work. But, you know, hybrid holsters, we talked a little bit about this before we started. Um, and I think we were like, okay, hybrids, are they are comfortable, uh, you know, for, especially in, in the waistband carry ones. Uh, I know that uh, – uh, I guess Crossbreed kind of started the whole. Did, didn't they? Didn't they kind of start that yeah. whole thing? Yeah, they did. With their uh, Super Tuck Deluxe and or Cross Tuck or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but but they 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 look comfortable. I've never really enjoyed Kydex that much. I do have them and I carry them occasionally, but uh, I, I prefer leather holsters. Leather period. And um, um, but I you know I guess you could make the holster completely leather and have it the same way you would make the hybrid one so i uh, guess i think that would be less i don't know i don't know how that would work i think the it, challenge comes in there with the stiffness being yeah. uh, in the mouth of the holster and so yes. that's typically been handled in leather holsters by having multiple materials and so whether it's mm. a, a metal strip that is inside a second layer of leather sandwiched between the two layers of leather to keep that mouth open. And I think that's just a more expensive and a more challenging process, more uh, task-intensive process to go through. And so the Kydex really kind of solves a problem. It's an inexpensive material. It's easy to use. Mm -hmm. And so when you combine that with the leather, you take out those extra you know, labor steps of, of stitching in some kind of a metal support. Sure. And at, at which point, if you're doing two pieces of leather, why not do a pancake? You know? Like waffles. <laughs> the waffle holster. <laughs> waffle holster. Oh. <gasps> you gotta, you got to reserve that URL I'm right going to get that URL right along with uh, anyways. <laughs> Sourdough waffle. <laughs> uh, so anyway, okay, well, yeah. you know, but they are. They, they are very comfortable, actually. Um, you know, so uh, I have to agree. But yeah, I just was trying to figure out what uh, specifics there were that you guys thought, you know. Of, uh, I started out, actually, when I went to Appendix with a hybrid holster. Did you? And, and was universally disappointed with it. Now, it wasn't the hybrid aspect that was a problem for me. and It, it was simply a, a clip issue. Hmm. The, the attachment to the belt wasn't sturdy enough either on the holster, so it moved on the holster, and it also moved on the belt. And so I just found it to be a, a very uncomfortable and unsecure way for me to carry. Now, mm -hmm. again, that's not because it was a hybrid holster. Right. It was the overall design of the attachment to the belt. I see. Um, and so I'm sure with the right system, maybe that would be you know resolved. Right. But I moved to Kydex, and I just haven't looked back. Hmm. Well, for myself, as far as I have had many, many uh, hybrid holsters. Started out with the crossbreed. Um, have had a couple others in, in between, um, but a couple problems for me with me being so tiny. 
a lot of those hybrid holsters have a really large leather panel, which is really good if you're a big guy looking to be comfortable. But if you're as small as I am, that that's like takes your entire hip. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And it it couldn't wrap around right. So it became uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other problem with some of the some of the lower profile um, hybrids is where the kydex cuts off and where the bottom of the holster cuts off. Like for instance, they could have um, it fits all Glock nine millimeters, right. so it doesn't matter if you've yeah. got a seventeen and nineteen or a twenty six. But where it cuts off, if you have a seventeen in that holster, the muzzle is hanging out so far that it can be worked out of the holster um, over time. So that was a second problem. Not a problem if the Kydex goes all the way to the bottom of the muzzle, but then obviously it isn't used, or you could use it, but it's too big for some of these other smaller models. Um, so those were the two biggest problems I saw or I saw in a lot of the hybrids. The last problem was, I talked about this before, the upkeep from the owner's standpoint. Uh, people wear these things until they are too worn out to be safe. And uh, sometimes that means, you know what, it's time to just replace your holster. Um, last problem I have seen with them, some of the kind of new people getting into the market of making hybrids, they attach the kydex too far away from um, the mounting points are too far away from the leather uh, or, or from the gun, where the gun would be. And what that causes is a gap between mm-hmm. the kydex and the leather itself that the gun can move too freely in and uh, can cause all sorts of problems as far as accessing the trigger and stuff like that. Hmm. Uh, so those are the main problems I've seen with a lot of yeah. hybrids. The crossbreed holsters come with an Allen wrench so you can adjust um, how the, the, you can adjust the tightness of the kydex to the leather. Yeah, and that, that helps um, if it's if the mounting point is close to where the firearm would be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if it's further away, it doesn't matter how close you tighten it down, the leather just causes a gap. And I really can't explain that in words. It's kind of one of those you got to see it in a picture kind of a thing. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, um, I still like that leather, period, all the way around. Uh, and the remorse. Now, Paul, uh, you are... Uh, Melody ever use like a remora type holster? I assume you I know have, what we're talking about. Yeah, I have I several do. of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't actually. Uh, you know, I, I pocket carry uh, my revolver in right. a leather holster mm-hmm. that it just happens to be what I have. There's no reason why a remora type holster wouldn't work. Right. I just simply have a, a nice left-handed Milt Sparks uh, holster for my. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, mm. good quality leather yeah. stuff and. Uh, um, so I don't, I don't have a, a remora that I use. Could I? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may even come in handy for waistband carry at times yeah. based on how the, the holster's designed. You know, that, that, that time when you're cruising out to take out the trash at, uh, at 11 o'clock and you've already kind of, you know, de-gunned for the night and then you realize, oh man, you know, I got to take the trash out and yeah. uh, you don't want to, you don't want to go without something, but at the same time, you don't want to go whole hog. I can understand where that kind of a holster would, would work well in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my thoughts mirror the exact same. You know, I don't think they're good everyday carry holsters, but they have their place definitely. Mm-hmm. And I use them constantly for, you know, if we're out, my husband wants to have a drink, he wants to give me his gun, you know, mm-hmm. okay, I'll take it. I'll, you know, I can slip it in a remora or something real easy. Yeah. Does he do that as he's ordering? 
no, like just no, slap no, no. it down on the table. Is that, so that what happens is Me- Melody is passing him the bottle while he's passing <laughs> her the puppy and the gun. Um, but the the uh, I, now I do I use them every day. Um, and again, I'll have it on me. Uh, you know, when I get in the car and in the morning and all that. And then of course when I get to work, I have to degun. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I. Not all the time, but I wear a lab coat a lot of times, so I could I could leave a holster on my belt or you know, uh, I guess in a waistband there or whatever if I wanted to. But uh, uh, you know, I don't know if, if I forget about it and take my lab coat off, some people might freak freak out. Right. <laughs> and but look, there's no gun in it. <laughs> you know? And so basically, what you're saying is that you, on a repeated basis, are, are doing what it is that Melody and I said we might do at the end of the day because we can carry on a regular basis. Yeah, so that exactly. makes That makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah, having, yeah. having a holster that's easy on and easy off mm-hmm. is important for somebody that is going to have to carry um, in an uh, infrequent is not the right word, but in an inconsistent manner. And in some places you can, and in some places you can't. Uh, if if it's difficult to get on and off, like the holster, I'm you know I switch back and forth between a couple of different attachment systems. If I've got to thread my belt, the holster and yeah. the gun are coming off. It's just staying on, yeah, right? And and if it comes off, it's not going back on because it's just too much of a a pain. You get out of balance with that, and it's just, it's not worth it. So right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that is my point because I mean you know even like I go out for lunch, you know, so I'm back in the car. I you know get the the gun back put it in you know in my waistband and off i go again you know i'll go to lunch eat and try and come back i gotta degun again and go back right. inside you know so uh but yeah that's that's kind of now if i know i'm gonna have one on all day long uh if i especially if i'm driving you know a distance or something i'll I'll probably wear a belt holster with that and uh usually just use a nice leather belt belt holster to go along and i have so many of them for <laughs> well, each gun you know but uh, yeah so many of the holsters are already equipped with the easy on, whether that snaps mm-hmm. um, or something like that, or, or just a clip. I I won't own a holster that I have to thread a whole belt belt through anymore because it's like you said, it's just way too much trouble getting it on, getting it off. Um, so much easier mm-hmm. if you just can clip it on, or in your case, pull it off, put it somewhere, and so much safer than trying to take the gun out and leave the gun somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and not have it in a holster. Yeah, I know that they're they're very tacky uh, too. The outside they stick very well. Um, mm-hmm. They remain in the pants when you draw. The um, uh, Alan Bogdan over at Remora, we've you know I've talked with him before. I think I've had him on the bar stool when we talked to him. But but uh, average Joe and I we've enjoyed carrying those for quite some time. I think Joe, yeah. you actually did some uh, videos. I think of it too. Uh, I did. I did a video of my Krav Maga instructor. Yes. Um, putting the my Glock Model 19 with the training barrel in it in a remora holster and putting it in her waistband. And then she did handstands, forward and backward rolls, and all sorts of things that mm-hmm. you would think would have dislodged either the pistol or the pistol end or the holster. And it didn't move one iota. No, sure didn't. I remember seeing that. Well, the reason I'm, we're continuing on about it, we got get to some of our emails here. Uh, uh, one of them was from Ryan, and uh, Ryan says, uh, 
you guys mentioned the dangers of administrative handling of a gun on and off in the car and the accidents that can happen because of it. Um, something I use on a daily basis that your listeners may be interested in is a remora holster you've mentioned in the past. I'm unable to carry in my place of employment, and with the remora, I can fairly easily remove the gun from my body while it stays in the holster so that the trigger is never exposed. And that's, that's, a, that's a good point, too, based yeah. on... The fact that, you know, if you're carrying without the thumb safety and all, as we've talked before, which we want to do that, uh, it's, you know, you're covering that uh, that trigger the whole time, you know. So that's, that's a pretty good point. Uh, take the whole firearm uh, while still in the holster and put it in a small safe in my car for storage while at work. Since the trigger is always covered, the chance of a negligent discharge is near zero. I'm still careful to follow all the safe handling and firearms rules. Uh, while I usually like a hybrid <laughs> hybrid style in the waistband holster, okay, we've hit all the buzzwords today, haven't we? Uh, for child, uh, for daily carry, when I'm going uh, to and from work, it is far easier to toss a remora on and off quickly with little attention, with very little attention from those around. Uh, I use this mostly with a Ruger LCR as well as a car a CW9. I have one for a Glock 23, but I find it is more convenient. With the smaller sized guns, something just something I thought that uh, pass along like they're more because uh, I can just easily pocket carry appendix or four or five o'clock all with the same holster and it's quick to remove and keep going uh, with all the working parts covered. And he's right, and that's you know we of course covered that, and uh, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up. Here's another email we got from uh, Paul PJC. Uh, thoughts from the last episode, uh, probably been a couple actually since he wrote this, uh, SIG P2, uh, SIG 220 10 millimeter would be a good idea to carry a second sidearm. Would, would it, mm, excuse me, SIG 10, SIG 220 10 millimeter. Would it be a good idea to carry a second sidearm in case you need to defend against human attack? Thinking of Harold Fish. Also, on uh, female instruction, does Melody have a, any male students? I think it would be beneficial to have a female instructor testifying on the fat bald guy's <laughs> behalf if forced into court. Might help with female jurors? Question mark. Pocket carry. Please mention that it is possible to carry a larger gun and dress shorts if you see the tailor and have the pocket deepened and reinforced. He's that's true. You can have your yep. uh have your wardrobe uh, uh changed in many ways, which you know Melody, I think uh I have noticed like online like you've done recently with your holster, you've you've made changes. But uh, I've seen like uh, uh s- some ladies online uh that can't get really what they need in the way of a holster or a mode of carry that will go around and like modify stuff uh including their clothing or uh, you know, other other modes. I know like the thigh holster was kind of brought out of a necessity of change or something of that nature. Yeah, there there are some definite mods that you can do. I it it really matters your style though. I do know several women who do do that exact same thing with their pockets. They will um deepen them, maybe put a little bit of a stiffer lining in the pocket to, to kind of make a custom pocket holster for a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you that doesn't work very well if you're wearing skin tight pants though. Um, 
because you're going to have a huge bulge on your on your well, leg. But it I, certainly is possible that you can do that. Yeah, I don't wear skinny jeans. I don't think Paul or uh, AJ does. Now, Grant. <laughs> He wears bikini. He may, oh no! Shh, don't, say <laughs> don't say it. Don't say it. Oh Lord. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, well, what do you think about the um, the fat bald guys? If you could go to court on behalf of them, you know that's an interesting uh, um, way to look at it. I, I have had male students, um, and I, I've had some great male students. Um, I've never had to go to court for any of them, but I absolutely would, whether or not a female instructor going to court on their behalf would be helpful or not. I don't know. Um, I've been reading a lot, actually, about court appearances, um, female self-defense, that kind of stuff. Um, Armed, trained females don't seem to actually do very well in jury pools. Mm. Um, So... (laughs) I'm not sure if an armed female instructor is something that would be beneficial. I, I just don't know. I don't know about the studies or, you know, what do you think? Yeah, you know, Mass would be a good one to talk to about He would that. be. He yeah. would be yeah. a great one to talk to about that. And I'm guessing this listener is probably, you know, based on the mention of the Harold Fish case, which is a case that Masada Yub, mm-hmm. um has talked about on, on the Pro Arms podcast. Yep. Um, and then the idea of uh, the way that things look in a trial. You know, this sounds like somebody that's probably familiar with some of the works of, of Masada Yub and, and maybe a student of his. Yeah. Um, I think that in general, you know, we, we need to make sure we stay away from crazy extremes, just like it might be a bad idea to put that Punisher um, engraving yeah. on the side mm-hmm. of the Glock. <laughs> it, it might not be the best idea to have a firearms instructor that has you know, a, a swastika tattooed across his face um, because that would not look good in court. And I, and I get that. Um, at the same time, we have to understand the idea of articulation. Mm-hmm. And what is the most important is that the people that you have testifying on your behalf, the people you train with, uh, are able to articulate what it is that, that your skill set is like and how it is that they enhanced your training so that you could make quality decisions. And so that articulation is going to be the, the big key for finding those instructors. Now, if that instructor happens to be um, someone that might be likable by a jury, that's even all of the better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back to the Harold Fish mention there, mm-hmm. uh, his question. Apparently, he carries the 10 millimeter uh, uh, or... As you said, it was thinking uh, in a mind experiment, basically based on what Mass had described with the Harold Fish incident. For people who don't know, we've talked about this before. But, yes, you can go over to the Pro Arms podcast and listen uh, to Mass talk about that in great length. Uh, in essence, it was a uh, old, kind of an older gentleman, I guess, that mm-hmm. uh, was carrying his 10 millimeter. It was walking on a trail. Is that That's correct, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, uh, he had to use it, the 10 millimeter in a defensive shoot. Uh, and, you know, of course, I, the, I guess it was the, uh, uh, the, the DA there was trying to make a, a point of it and, uh, said, Hey, you know, basically I'm paraphrasing that the 10 millimeters like really overkill. You meant to harm people with it. You really, you know, you're a bad person and all that. And so, um, in essence, they 
basically put him in jail. I mean, to, mm-hmm. isn't that right? Didn't he go to jail? Yeah, he he spent some time in jail until um, some things were sorted out. And, and I, I'm a little bit concerned about mentioning very many details because it's been a long time since yeah. I've viewed the case. Yeah. If I remember correctly, there was a, a mistrial that was declared or um, there was a retrial of some sort uh, based on – um, the original attorneys not doing what it is they needed to do right. for Mr. Fish. And again, I think it really comes down to articulation. Um, you know, if, if you're carrying a full-sized gun, uh, well, you know, the, the additional muzzle velocity, okay, is, is that going to be used against you? I don't know. Maybe it will be. If you're carrying uh, a firearm that is a, a certain color, could that be, you know, construed to be something negative? You know, the the prosecutor's job is to put you in jail. That's yeah. that's their That's what they do. That's how they look at it from a trial standpoint. Their their job is to prove your guilt and you're going to need to be able to articulate the decisions that you make. Um, it could easily be argued that, you know, you're carrying the the deadly 9mm. I mean, this is the same caliber that the FBI has chosen so that they can, you know, apprehend criminals. Okay, so is that the same caliber that the Nazis used? There you go. (laughs) You know, gangbangers across America depend on the 9mm for their drive-by shootings. Uh, Okay. What does that have to do with me? I'm not a gangbanger. This is why I made the decision to carry a 9mm from a defensive standpoint. This is why I chose to carry a 10mm. I'm hiking in bear country, I need to have a cartridge that is going to have superior penetration to deal with the, you know, the four-legged creatures. And the reality is, is that the 10 millimeter probably makes it more difficult for me to defend myself against a human because of the added recoil. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of terminal benefit that comes from the 10 millimeter. So really, I'm at a disadvantage by carrying that 10 millimeter. If you can well, articulate that, well, on a bear, that yes, goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And I bear, found yes. it interesting that he asked about carrying an additional gun, and I'm I'm confused now. Is he is he asking about carrying a different gun for humans and a different gun for yes. bear? Uh, I think okay. that's yeah, the case. That's the it's it's okay. in addition to so, like, if you are right-handed <laughs> and you have uh, your uh, Taurus curve on. And you have, which is right-handed, and you have your 10 millimeter, whatever that may be. R51. Yeah. (laughs) R51. And uh, it's in your left hand. Well, if you're right-handed and you can't use your left hand, if a bear comes up, you have to, like, switch it out real quick. And vice versa. But, yeah, yeah, I think so. In in essence, saying, okay, I've got the 10 millimeter. I've got it out, say, in the woods uh, for bear tack, I'm on the trail, maybe dog, who knows what. Uh, I want to be able to use that. But if if a human comes up on me, you know, I should use my 9 millimeter or 40 or 45 or 380 or whatever. Uh, would, would that be a good idea to second carry the sidearm? I don't think you'd get in trouble for carrying the second. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You may. It depends on, it depends on your yeah. state laws. There are some states where you can carry a concealed firearm or a defensive firearm. So, you know, of course, not knowing those laws and and where this listener is located can't answer that. It's really tough to. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think what it comes down to is we have to base our decisions off of statistics and likelihood. So choose the threat that you believe to be most likely. Go off of uh, news reports, go off of statistics that you can find with, you know, your wildlife conservation department of of animal attacks, etc. Find out whether you're more likely to have human problems or animal problems. Carry the firearm that is going to be best to deal with the most likely scenario and then 
be able to articulate why you're carrying it. And if you have to use that in defense of a human, I mean, a handgun is a lethal weapon, whether it's 9mm, 10mm, 25 ACP, uh, they're, they're all considered lethal weapons. Mm-hmm. So there really is no, no major difference there as far as I'm concerned, as long as you can articulate the decisions you make. Well, I mean, like say you're out in the woods. I was just sitting here thinking about all this. Mm-hmm. And really, how much different is it, say you're in the woods with your 10mm that you're trying to protect yourself with based on bear attacks as you're walking your dogs through a trail or something, your family? Uh, or say you're out hunting with a 10 millimeter right. and somebody comes up on you or you're out hunting, you know, say deer with a shotgun mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, with buckshot in it or slugs and somebody comes up to do something and you have to use it in a defensive, uh, you know, mode. What's the difference there? You know, there really isn't. I mean, but, uh, it's, it's all about what they make it. And it's, I was sitting here listening to the good advice you just gave and, I was thinking, you know, isn't it a shame that we have to go through that entire... That's the truth, right? Isn't it a shame? I mean, think about what we've had to think about. We've talked about this now for, you know, a number of minutes, and it's like uh, he had to think about it, you know, and this has happened to Harold Fish, and Mm -hmm. it's like, this is crazy. I was out wanting to protect myself from animals. Some guy came up and did something, and I had to protect myself from him. I mean, hello? Yeah. So Yeah, lethal force is lethal force. I mean, it's crazy. But uh, it's a shame. It's a doggone shame that we have to to go through this mind experiment every time we think we've got to go outside, <laughs> you know, so or inside for that matter. But, uh, that but if questions. I lived in bear country, I'd probably defer to the bear cartridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> personally. I'd, I'd, yeah, just personally. Because, <laughs> you know, in other states, like I know up in Alaska, a lot of folks up there, uh, at least the last time I went up there, um, uh, the wife's uh, got cousins up there, and they all carry forty fours or better mm-hmm. right. on their hip everywhere, everywhere. And uh, you know, I was all happy about that. <laughs> Boy, was I happy! I'd but, be four fifty four in it. Huh? Yeah. Well, my her the the I guess the the father cousin of the family up there. He's he carries the, the four fifty four in in a uh, I forgot it was a four inch barrel or. It's not a six inch, but it's like four inch barrel, I guess it was. But anyway, he, you know, he has it on, and I said, "Wow, that's great! You know, it's just great." I mean, you see them in malls like that, you're, you know. And he's like, "Look, you got to have this on." He said, "Look, just the other night, I stepped out to take the garbage out and was confronted standing right in front of me was a bear, a huge one." And I was like, "Wow." He's like, "Yeah." Now the guy turned and ran. <laughs> he said, "But you know, you don't know." And he said, "That's any time, any time." So makes sense. Um, but up there, maybe it's okay. Down here, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Um, got another email from Robert who says, uh, what do you think about an idea about Ruger, the Ruger American, which is the um, the rifle, uh, one of their rifles, if they would make it in a three fifty seven Magnum? I think it might be better than the lever rifle. Um, if I'm not mistaken, don't they make that in a three fifty seven Magnum? Okay. I don't. I don't know. Uh, we've got right one now. in the shop in three hundred eight, uh-huh. and then we have their rimfire models, uh, and we've also got the model seventy seven in a forty four magnum. But I don't know if they make the uh, American in a three fifty seven or not. Let's see for the standard eight. I don't see it for that. I know they. Uh, no, it wasn't the American. 
It was one of their others uh, that they actually produce. It was the, their 77, that's it. It was the Ruger 77 357 Magnum. So they do have a bolt action. It's the one that's the uh, uh, brushed stainless synthetic. Uh, it's got that, um, um, well, it's bolt action. It's, I want to say, yeah, it's, it's in the, uh, that's right. It's in the 77 uh, rotary magazine. That's that's yeah. the one that's got the rotary magazine. So, but uh, so they do have a bolt action, and yes, I would love to have it, but it's a thousand bucks. They're not cheap. The American rifle, I think, is a little cheaper, right? Yeah, probably half the price. And uh, so, if they made that in three fifty seven, yeah, I guess so. Uh, but bolt action three fifty seven, yeah, that'd be because you know there's a huge increase in uh, performance uh when you stretch that out for that cartridge the uh, barrel out for that cartridge I'm, I'm looking at it now in an 18 inch barrel you know with uh say a federal 125 grain jacketed hollow point you're talking about 2000 plus oh yeah and you're talking about third that's thir- right around 30 30 at the mm-hmm. bottom part of it. that's right yeah and that's damaging uh now i will say with the 125 grain i found it absolutely tears the thing to pieces once it strikes so typically i'll jump up to like 158 grain right with that to try to keep it together uh, but you're right it just it absolutely is astonishing and i mean the good thing is you can just pop that right in your <laughs> sp101 if you've got one that handles mm-hmm. that so once again i always love the versatility of that cartridge it's outstanding so carry that rifle for the bear yes carry the sp101 there the same go. ammo man for the two-legged critters. hey gun nation solving problems <laughs> <laughs> So very good, very good. Um, now, Doc, yeah. I can get you the uh, M seventy seven in forty four Magnum for six forty two. Hmm, that's a good price. My six forty two is thirty eight special plus P. I don't know. Forget it. <laughs> it. It was a good try, Paul. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a good try. <laughs> I appreciate. Um, it. Here's another one. Oh, this is a good one from Brian. Uh, let's see. Doesn't say where he's from. <clears throat> been listening to. The, okay, it's long, so I may have to jump through a lot of this. But it says, "Been listening to your show for about a year now. I've enjoyed the mixture of banter and good information. Uh, it was actually good." Uh, Ian, who introduced him, so <laughs> Ian's not here with us tonight. He would be bored with what we're talking about anyway. So we'll get him on next episode. Uh, with regards to oh no, we'll jump through that. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Let's see here. Um, here's a question that he wants us to answer. Uh, recommended carry options for running, firearm and concealment options for running. Normally, I only run with small bottle of pepper spray. My primary worry is loose dogs. But the human threat is always present as well, but not nearly as likely in his area. I've had multiple run-ins with larger, loose, aggressive dogs and have been uh, bit once by a large Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay Retriever. People think that Retrievers are nice. Those Chesapeake Bay – my sister had like two of them. They were mean, man. They're just trying to bring the guy back home. Yeah, well, you know, lick him to death. <laughs> Dragging right? him by his ankle. Lick, yeah. Uh, This incident is what prompted me to carry the pepper spray. Uh, The area I live in is somewhat rural, so many people do not fence their pets in, despite our county having leash laws. 
I've had pepper sprayed uh, some of these dogs before when they get too close, less than three feet. Whenever threatened, I always stop running, face the dog uh, or dogs, uh, directly making direct eye contact and yell no. This works the majority of the time. If it is only one dog, but in a pack, it's less effective. Yeah, that's the way humans are, too. What is your opinion on carrying pepper spray only in this specific situation? I normally carry an M&P shield, but feel this would be a bit would be too heavy and cumbersome to conceal while running. I live on the Texas Gulf Coast, so running attire normally consists of a tank top and running shorts, not uh, leaving many options for concealment. I'm a smaller guy at 5'7 and 140 pounds. Uh, not giving me a lot of real estate for concealment either. Carry weight is also a major concern when running up to 20 miles in a single run. First off, dude, stop that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, don't run. So- wow. That's why you weigh 140 pounds. <laughs> um, not that that's a bad thing, actually. <laughs> Every ounce of weight becomes a burden. It does, but, you know, if you run with a gun, I have noticed this. If you run with a gun when you don't run with a gun, you're used to running with that extra weight. It's like, wow, hello. It's, you're like, wow, I feel so light and springy. The only firearm I can think of uh, that would realistically be small and light enough to effectively conceal would be the NAA 22 long rifle revolver, the little NAA. But honestly, I feel pepper spray probably has more effect stop, um, effective stopping power, power, at least on dogs, than twenty two. Uh, long rifles would uh, I carry wherever I can but when uh, but there are times given certain circumstances I cannot however I feel that I might I can mitigate this unarmed risk by taking a pro- appropriate precautions I'm completely am I completely wrong in my thinking if so please be brutally honest I do not mind hearing uh, any and all viewpoints um, and we appreciate you writing in I, I was stumbling through that because I had I had high exam the later latter part of the day today, and you know they dilate your eyes. I'm like having to struggle seeing anything. You're, um, man, um, the uh, I'd say carry a gun. <laughs> I mean pepper spray. I guess you know obviously it's worked for him so far, but you know I, I'm a fan of pepper spray for dogs. Yeah. Not because I like dogs more than people, even though that's pretty much true. Yeah. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that you know dogs are rarely going to be um, coming at you with malice, if you will. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just dogs are just doing what they do. When you yeah. run away from a dog, a dog's like, "Oh, I need to go get that." Yeah, we're playing. And, yeah, and so you know, a, a good dose of something that they don't like says, "Oh man, this game sucks. I'm out of here." Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily the case with the guy that's hopped up on whatever they're hopped up on and they want to eat your face. Um, and so I think, I think both is really the solution. I have to agree with that. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Smith and Wesson makes some ridiculously lightweight revolvers mm-hmm. that, you know, 12 ounces, 13 ounces, um, with that in some type of a running pack. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's another option for him. I can't remember the guy's name. I think it's Slater. But there's a guy someplace in the South. He makes custom walking sticks. 
and he makes a two-foot-long baton with a solid brass ball on the end of it for runners who may need to whack some type of an animal in the head. Yeah. Yeah. That's another possibility. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as carrying a gun, um, I'll be honest with you. uh, Well, like you say, some type of a runner's thing. I know they make, uh, what, similar ones like a, I know some runners use like that belly band kind of yes. thing. It's not really the belly band, but it's one for runners that kind of keeps it up closer, uh, more tight to you. Um, I personally do not like those because they are hot. Um, and, uh, you know, him living at the Texas Gulf, I know he's getting that extreme heat and that humidity and all. So uh, what I have found, and, and originally I back when they first came out and I was younger – you know, I fell into the uh, trap of purchasing that uh, smart carry holster, the what they originally called Thunderwear or whatever. Yeah. Because in your okay. Now, I don't use that, um, but I will say this: uh, I can carry. I say I don't use it. I do when I run. Actually, I actually use it for that purpose only. And uh, you know, I can wear shorts and. You know, if I want to run without a shirt, I mean, I can go out and do that, too, and still conceal. Um, now, the extra weight is it's on you, yes, but it's not like it's on your hip. Uh, it's not pronounced in that one area. It's it's kind of in front of you and kind of more towards your center of gravity, so to speak. So it's not as noticeable. Uh, so I've done that before and, you know, and can carry the the big XDs out that way if I wanted to, or the 686, you know, and really not have an issue with it. So that does. And, and I will say uh, one of my opinions on the drawbacks of one of those type of holsters is if you wear a pair of pants that aren't really loose, um, they're not particularly comfortable. Uh, If you wear a pair of pants, that has got like a belt on it. You got to keep the belt loose, which kind of negates the fact that you're wearing a belt, you know? So, uh, but with with like jogging shorts or you know sweatpants or whatever, oh listen, it's no problem at all. You just pull them babies and go. So I I do use that. That's what I use. Um, um, some people would probably disagree with that, but to me, it's more comfortable doing that than it is like some of those uh, running tight belly band things, uh, especially with the heat and all. Anybody else well, got comments? It's a it's a good thing that you said about keeping it center line. Because mm-hmm. when you're running, and I used to do a lot of running armed, and um, if it's off to one side or the other, you can really mess with your gait. Um, oh, yeah. And and even just a small light firearm can really, and, and can cause a lot of problems with your knees, your ankles, all sorts of things. So keeping it center line is important. Um, another thing to look at, too, would be um, a lot of those holsters, or not holsters, I'm sorry, a lot of those little tiny firearms can be clip draw too. Mm-hmm. Um, not ideal, mm-hmm. but a lot less um, a lot less weight to have to worry about too. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of suggestions I have just to take a look at things. Um, you know, with, with the firearms that are coming out today, and, and I actually mean almost literally today, you know, the Glock 43, the Glock 42, the, uh, the Ruger... LC9 Pro S, um, you know, all of these small firearms that are relatively lightweight 
Um, you know, just finding a good, decent holster that'll work for your situation is half the battle. The gun, the guns are there. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of finding the right holster. So, um, the best, for instance, the Glock 42, the best list of holsters that's out there. If you head to gunholstersandgear.com, Glock 42 or Glock 42 holsters, or just go to gun holsters and gear and search for Glock 42, it'll pop right up. It gives you an extensive list of all of the holsters that are out there, and there are some that would definitely work for some people in running. Of course, everybody's got to make their own decision about what's comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. The other thing that uh, that I put together uh, some time ago, a, a student was asking me about concealed carry in difficult situations, and I put together a post um, talking about how it is that I carry while I'm mountain biking. I don't prefer to run, but I do like to ride. And um, I actually do use uh, a belly band um, mm-hmm. and find it fairly comfortable. Now, I don't have, you know, Texas panhandle heat but um, and humidity, but I've got a, a fairly uh, uh, warm climate here in the summertime. So if you go to ssa.training, um, difficult CCW, it'll bring that post right up. There so ssa.training slash difficult ccw and it can give you some ideas and, and some suggestions very good and, and maybe the solution that i have there doesn't work for you but hopefully the concepts will mm-hmm. or give you an idea for something exactly else. Yeah. exactly good point very good point um here's uh let's see you got a couple more here um trying to get caught up on them doc i'm currently in the market for a budget shotgun i'm familiar with many offerings like the 870 and the 500 uh, as well as the benelli nova but I have recently come across a Weatherby PA-08, which is all of the looks of a more expensive gun, but I'm unfamiliar with its reliability and functionality. I can't imagine a Weatherby would put their name on a poorly made gun, and reviews I've read indicate that this is a great shotgun for the money. Here in Denver, I can pick up the Upland Pump PA-08 for $370 and am sorely tempted to take it over the more mainstream and well-known shotgun manufacturers. Do any of you have any experience with with this shotgun? And if so, would you be willing to recommend it at that price? Please keep in mind that I'm not a competition shooter, just looking for something reliable to take out uh, occasionally and to get a few ducks here and there. (laughs) It's not going to see tens of thousands of rounds uh, through it each year. Love the show. Keep up good work. And uh, that's from Seth. Thank you, Seth. We appreciate that. Um, all right. The PA-08. I know Weatherby in the PA-08. Very good uh, shotgun, actually. Um, I've never had one. I uh, forgot. Uh, I've shot them before. One of my buddies had one of those. And um, I don't remember who it was. But uh, it, he seemed to like it. I don't own one. Uh, it, any of you guys and gal? Not me. No. Nope. Got nothing. And obviously, obviously, Melody has one. I have a Nova, but not, not that one. No. Yeah. Um, three hundred seventy for the Upland Pump PA08. Don't know. Sorry. Maybe Grant would have been able to help us out with that. Maybe email him or we'll. Maybe well, address it when we get him back. I'll, I'll throw out just some some general concepts and ideas. Uh, when idea? it comes to a defensive shotgun, uh, a shorter barrel is going to be helpful. So a 20-inch barrel or an 18-inch barrel is going to give you a shotgun that's going to have uh, a versatile swing so that you can move with it should you need to. Um, isn't going to be overly cumbersome. 
I don't know if that gun is available in that barrel length. The other challenge you get into is when it comes to accessories. Um, a lot of folks like to have a an extended magazine. Is that available? Maybe not a deal breaker for you, but a shotgun is a fairly low capacity firearm in general. Mm-hmm. And then are you interested in attaching a light or some kind of other thing to it? And, and if that's the case, if you're looking for those kinds of things, um, a shotgun like a Weatherby just isn't going to have the support of accessories that other shotguns will have. True. I'm not saying that that rules it out. It just is something to think about when it comes to that. That's one of the reasons why folks like the Remingtons, like the Benellis, like the Mossbergs, because they're mainstream shotguns and lots of folks are building parts for them. So it's something to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now if he's just looking not to use it for defensive, but just wants to use it you know, for hunting, that's, maybe that's okay then. But I'm agreeing with you. I think that, uh, as a matter of fact, if you worry about the money, um, you know, some of the police trade-ins, uh, if, if you pick through them well, uh, seem to do well for, for good price. You can get higher quality shotguns in police trade-ins that are being made new mm-hmm. now by by Remington anyways, um, <laughs> you know, for 250 bucks. Yeah. Now, they don't look pretty. Mm-mm. Yeah. But they're fully functional, and they're there. All you've got to do is keep an eye out for them, and you're all set. Yeah, I got them all over my house. Mm-hmm. All over the <laughs> – I mean, I do. That was my purpose was to – if I wanted shotguns and, you know, to, to be able to have them in strategic places around yep. the house, I've got them. Of course, secured, but uh, – and I, that's what I used. I used primarily the, uh, the police trade-ins and got excellent, excellent – and like you say, for those prices specifically – I was getting uh, for those so, and shot all of them, and they've all functioned. Some of them look pretty decent, and like you say, some are kind of rode up hard. But uh, right. so what? They still work. I don't mm-hmm. care how they look. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, actually, uh, when I bought those, I also, for one of them, because I wanted to be able to have that, uh, have one in the garage at the ready, but I also wanted to be able to say, hey, I'm going to go dove hunting, you know, and didn't want to go back in the house. Maybe I've been out mowing the yard or something. I've had that happen a few times, and a buddy comes up, and we want to go out and do it. I'll just grab that shotgun and then grab the change out. Uh, I've got to, mm-hmm. you know, to to drop the extended mag off of it, and to put the you know the short mag, the the legal length mag on it for North Carolina for hunting. So I can just whoop switch it up real quick on the way over. So, and it does good for both. Um, Nova's a good gun though. Uh, I like Benelli's. Uh, you. you you like your Benelli? I wish I had a Benelli. I'm talking Benelli. I know. <laughs> I have not shot it in about six years. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um, it looks really pretty in my safe. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> if you remember correctly, it was okay though, right? <laughs> yeah, it was It was fine. I mean, it was definitely a like a hunting shotgun. You know, yeah, it very is. Very long barrel. Down. Yeah, it, no question about that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but very fine shooting firearm. So. Yeah. Let's move ahead. Uh, this is from Jason. Hello, Doc and Company. I have a couple of questions for you. Number one, when people use ballistic gel to the FBI standard, what is that supposed to represent? They say 12 to 18 inches is optimal. Is that just flesh? Uh, what if you hit bone? Also, if I assume the FBI wants their choice of ammo uh, to be able to go through barriers. Should our standard be less because we shouldn't be shooting through barriers? Uh, number two, lots of people talk about what their one gun would be if they could only have one 
or the three-gun prepper arsenal. What I want to know is, if you could only have one gun for every category, what would those categories be? For example, CCW, home defense, uh, gamer guns, bird shotgun, deer rifle, and so on. And if you want, you could choose a gun for the category. Uh, thanks for the great show, Jason, in Texas. Uh, I've you know, number one, and I, I work with this somewhat, and um, from the side of protection, um, you know, yeah, flesh, right. Uh, the penetration, you know, the human body, I, you're not got, you don't have 12 inches from your, well, some people do, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, I think that um, what that meant, and as I've read it times and time again, based on the NIJ standards for, you know, um, producing body armor and all. The penetration is where it will reach vital organs. That is the um, that's the main concern to be able to reach the vitals, to be able to stop the threat, and um, that that is primarily uh, what they list out for FBI on that. Um, and tw- and it is my understanding yes. that the reason the FBI specifies 12 inches is because they know it's going to probably have to go through um a rib cage yes yeah exactly the analog is is not in ratio in other words uh yeah they're the 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 12 to 18 and they're thinking well in human body when we see 12 to 18 in a ballistic block we're thinking like six inches has got to reach or five or whatever it's got to reach to a certain part of the body that that will cause you to stop yeah you're right as a matter of fact they even do that uh they calibrate these blocks uh with a bb uh the the depth of a bb and when the they shoot it with a with a bb uh the when it reaches a certain depth they know that it's calibrated to be shooting you know uh standard at least that's how we've done it too um so yeah um their choice of ammo to go through barriers uh i I don't overthink it. No, I don't overthink that because, once again, uh, if that were the case, they'd be walking around with 308s, a, yeah. a lot of them. <laughs> but um, keep in mind, typically, when a defensive round penetrates a barrier, it has a tendency to penetrate much deeper into the the threat, the backstop, the target, the gel block, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Basically, it, it inhibits the. Uh, or tends to inhibit that hollow point from behaving how it is that the engineers want it to behave in the perfect circumstances. Mm-hmm. So plug it up. that's right. And and understand also that the FBI protocol tests through marine grade plywood. It tests through automotive glass, mm-hmm. three layers of glass at, at appropriate angles. It tests through uh, heavy clothing. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think there's a car door or a steel barrier test. All of those are included in that full FBI protocol. And, you know, that's what the FBI is looking at. And, and basically they know that they generally assume that if a round does not perform well in that FBI protocol, it's not likely that it's going to perform well in the real world. If it performs well in the FBI protocol, maybe that is going to perform well. So what does that mean for you and I? It means really nothing. The, the bullet is designed to perform well not going through a barrier and it's designed to perform as well as it can mm-hmm. if it if it meets that barrier beforehand. So best case scenario, you're going to save some money if you go with ammunition that's not bonded. And that's really the big difference between the ammunition that's designed for barrier penetration and isn't 
designed for barrier penetration is that that connecting of the the core of the bullet, the lead to the copper jacket. Right. Um, but you know, modern bonded ammunition, spear gold dots, um, Federal tactical bonded, um, great choices. Winchester PDX one, great choices. Mm-hmm. Um, either a few other two would got to come in or. No, I, I concur. I concur. <laughs> okay. Um, well, it said Doc and Company, so <laughs> make sure that all the company was involved there. Um, and of course, going to the one gun—that is such a huge question. I mean, you could spend an entire show. As a matter of fact, Average Joe and I did one based on three gun. Uh, that Joe came up and talked about his uh, what the three gun battery would look like. You remember that one, Joe? Yeah. Uh, under different scenarios, we looked at apartment dwellers all the way to. People who live up in the um, uh, mountains. Sure did. It was very extensive. I don't remember what episode it was, but if you'll go back and and search, uh, do a search on uh, the Gun Nation website uh, for three gun battery, you'll see that. Now, the second part of that question uh, for each category. Well, once again, uh, okay, <laughs> each category: CCW check, <laughs> home defense check, gamer gun. Uh, I'm not a gamer. I guess assume what's he talking about, gamer competition? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, competition I, yeah. That's what gun. I'm thinking too. Yeah, so and it would matter on I am no gamer on that. I, I just want to make sure I was saying it correctly. Bird shotgun check, got that. <laughs> Deer rifle check, and so on and so on. I even have them for Cape Buffalo, which I don't hunt, but I've got them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I guess what would the categories be? My categories are all of the above. Um, now for Melody, you know she's. What's your categories? CCW, home defense. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say gamer because even though I shoot IDPA, I shoot my carry gear. So, um, you know, if I got into like super high speed USPSA, I guess maybe something or, or bullseye, I might want a really, really nice bullseye gun. Um, ugh, I'm not really a hunter, but a good rifle would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah, those are kind of yeah. My, I mean, home defense shotgun, um, kind of your basic categories too. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's it's that way. And if we were to list the guns we'd have, we'd be here all night. To I mean, yeah. to say if we had one <laughs> gun for each category, because you know, I'd have to decide which one that would be because a lot of times I've got multiple ones for each category, <laughs> and and it, that that changes with the season and the day. So, um, uh, either you guys got comments you'd like to, uh, Oh, I'd, I'd love a new bird shotgun. I'd love a new Browning Satori 26 inch, mm. not an English stock mm-hmm. knob stock, just a grade one. Mm-hmm. Be nice. Joe. Well, you know, if you're looking for something that might cover, yeah, the problem is when you stay, say, if I could only have one gun, it's going to handle some things well and some things not very well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones that I think would be interesting to look at for those purposes is the TCM-22. Um, it's a 40-grain bullet uh, coming out of a 5-inch barrel at uh, 2,000, 2,000-plus feet per second. Um, I don't know if that would handle, again, it's not going to handle everything well, but 
would that handle most things that you might come up against? I don't know. Yeah, good good point. Um, so you know that's a huge. But again, I recommend go check out that uh, on the three gun battery that uh, Joe spearheaded on uh, on our website for that. It was actually very good. It was very good. Um, he had a great idea with that. Um, I'll do one more because I promised to do it. We're getting long on it, but uh, go ahead and, and get this out. Uh, this was uh, where I was talking to a Facebook friend, which I do a lot. I try to pick up on everybody and return emails and everything. Uh, hopefully, I'm getting everybody. If I'm not, I apologize. But uh, we try to. I try to at least answer them an email or get them on the air here. But um, <clears throat> his question. This was from Ian, and. Uh, Ian was saying, uh, curious your thoughts between the LC9S and the car CM9 for either backup, conceal, or summer carry. My everyday carry will be an SR9C. Uh, he's awaiting sheriff's paperwork uh, to get that. Um, or do you have any other, or do you have other single stack nines or thinner double stack uh, options, uh, suggestions that I'm maybe not thinking of? Uh, outside of the Glock 43. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a ton of them, and your choices are pretty good, too. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, the LC9S is, you know, it's made for good CCW. Now, granted, it's it's got the – that one probably has the thumb safety on it, I'm assuming. No. Well, the one Wait, they had did. or I'm assuming, Oh, the S does not, right. Correct. The, the LC9 does. Thank you very much for correcting me on that. So, uh, yeah, good. Uh, CM9, good. Uh, Joe, you've reviewed that before, haven't you? Uh, Many cars. Yeah. I think you did I mean, the CM9. My, my favorite small pocket 9 is the SIG P938. Mm -hmm. The quality on it is excellent. It comes with night sights. Um, it's single action, uh, so it does have a safety. So you need to train with it if you're going to carry it. Um, but the quality on that pistol is better than the Ruger LC9 in any of its configurations. And, um, I like it better than the, the small car as well. However, that being said, none of those are bad choices because they're all good pistols. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, many more like the MMP Shield. The I mean, you know, um, is is a a good one. The um, and of course, he said not to mention the outside of the forty three. I'm sure that's going to be pretty decent too. Uh, uh, I know Melody, you've got I'm sure some ideas there as well as Paul. Melody first. Uh, yeah, the the um, if he doesn't want the Glock forty three, which of course isn't even out yet. Um, I, I obviously love the M&P Shield. Uh, I think that's a really great size. Mm -hmm. uh, even thinking about the SIG 239, mm -hmm. um, if you're looking at something, I don't know how you like HK, but there's the 2000 SK. Mm -hmm. um, that might, might be a little bit bigger, but it's still pretty petite for a, a 9mm. Um, my gosh, there's so many single-stack 9mm now. Mm -hmm. um, can't really go wrong any of those directions. No, no. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. You know, the Glock 43 really has to be reserved. Let's see how this thing pans out. Um, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily trust any gun right when it comes out. So let's give that some time and, and see how it is from a reliability standpoint. Smith and Wesson Shield is probably my favorite 
of the single stack nine millimeters, and I also really like the XDS uh, in nine millimeters or, the, XDS, or yes. the XDS 4.0. Yeah. Man, I really wish Smith and Wesson would give us a four-inch barrel in the shield. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Sure would, sure would, and still easy to hide. Still very easy to hide. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, that's a good question. So I hope we answered them uh, thoroughly enough or properly enough. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, you know, <clears throat> the um, uh, average Joe had the idea for a topic, which actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, trigger pull. And Joe, so won't you, uh, since you had that idea, you give us your thoughts on what you were thinking of there. Well, thanks, Doc. <laughs> um, the trigger pull thing is, is something that's in my mind because there's a lot of talk on the Internet about it. And we have a lot of talk about this in the gun shop. You know, I'm the only person in the gun shop that is not a competitive shooter. And uh, um, I am at odds with the competitive shooters over what a trigger pull uh, should be. Now, I think there's about five components that go into a trigger pull. The pull weight, uh, you know, how much weight measured in pounds or ounces does it take? to uh, manipulate that trigger. Uh, number two would be the smoothness of the, of the pull. Uh, number three would be the length of travel or over-travel. Uh, the trigger break would be number four, and the trigger reset would be number five. Now, certainly, you know, people can take issue with whether there are more components to the trigger pull or less. Um, but uh, any gun that comes in the shop that does not have a two-pound trigger pull or less, the other people in the shop say, oh, that, that trigger pull is, is uh, too heavy. Um, my feeling on it is that uh, you don't want a pistol that you're carrying for uh, defensive purposes to have that light of a trigger pull. Uh, you're going to be under stress and i know the competitors say that they are under stress too but when they're in competition nobody's life is on the line and the targets that they're shooting at aren't shooting back at them or or putting their lives in danger so um i like for a trigger pull to be about four to five pounds in semi-auto or seven to eight pounds in uh, uh, a revolver i'd kind of like to get some revolvers that had a lower trigger pull weight but um, it just doesn't seem that any of them are coming out in in anything lower than a seven or eight uh, uh, pound pull. Um, one of the things that Mossad Ayub cautions folks about, and I think you know, any if, if Mossad has found this to be true, you should take note of it, is to be very careful about adjusting the trigger pull on your defensive carry pistols too far below manufacturer specifications because if you wind up in court that's the first thing they're going to look at is what did the manufacturer what did glock or colt or whomever um come out with as the specified trigger pull uh on that weapon and you got to have a pretty good reason for being able to uh articulate why you changed that um smoothness of the pull yes you want it to be smooth I have had uh, come across handguns in the past where the trigger pull was fairly light, but it was gritty uh, and just miserable. And then the length of travel and over-travel, how far do you have to pull the trigger before it engages, and how far back will it 
continue to uh, go back after you've pulled it, um, we tend to want a fairly short length of travel and short um, uh, length of over travel as well. Uh, and similar with the reset, we like light resets, but one of the things, short resets, but one of the things that I've come across in the past is you can take that to um, a point where it becomes detrimental to me. If I get a pistol, and I've had both single action and double action pistols this way, where they've got maybe a three pound trigger pull and the reset is very short, um, I can wind up with a negligent discharge there because during recoil and coming back down, because of the light trigger pull and because of the very short reset, um, it goes off before I'm ready to. And yes, my finger is touching it, um, but because of that, I avoid um, handguns with a less than a four-pound trigger pull. And uh, the last component would be the trigger break, and I hear a lot of people talk about this and usually what I hear them say is it should break, and, and by trigger break, we mean how does it feel when the trigger finally, uh, um, you know, breaks on the, on the sear and makes the uh, hammer or striker go forward. And I hear a lot of people talking about, well, it should be smooth as bla- breaking a glass rod. The only problem is... I haven't broken too many glass rods in my life, so I don't know if that's a good estimation or not. Um, I recall breaking one in high school chemistry class, but that was an inadvertent dropping. It wasn't uh, uh, me snapping. So I've kind of thrown out my preferences. So let's hear from everybody else. Paul? That's uh, <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good uh, summary that you gave there, Randy, of a lot of the qualities of the trigger. Um, Thank I, you, Paul. I I come from a background of competitive shooting myself, and so there was a time where I just really believed that all of those qualities just had to be absolutely perfect for a gun to be a quote good gun, a, a good quality trigger, and and I'm. I guess I'm I'm glad that I've, I've progressed beyond that belief. Um, I have guns in the safe that have unbelievable break, break like a glass rod type pound and three quarter triggers on them, and I have guns that have six, seven, eight pound triggers. And until we start getting to a you know twenty five yard shot on an eight inch target, um, it just really doesn't matter to me anymore. Uh, a trigger press as long as we're in the reasonable range is going to be just fine for especially defensive use. And that's, that's kind of how you define this. You said you look at it from a defensive standpoint. Um, the things that matter most to me from a defensive standpoint for a trigger is for the trigger to be relatively short. I don't mind a trigger in the six, seven, eight pound range as long as the trigger travel from the front of the trigger back to the brake isn't too terribly long. Um, What I find with myself and I find with students over and over and over again is pressing the trigger and getting the hits really is an an act of concentration. We have to make sure that our sights are properly aligned. We have to make sure that those sights are properly placed on the target while we maintain that alignment. And then we have to press that trigger smoothly to the rear without disturbing 
the sights from their alignment or their position on the target. That's a heck of a lot of things to do all at once when you need to make a shot that requires sighted fire. Yeah. So to have to maintain that over you know, a, a long travel and a heavy weight like a double action revolver or a double action handgun can be very challenging and it is something difficult to, to master. That being said, you throw a Glock even with a, a, a New York trigger, um, it's fairly short, it's relatively light in comparison, and it's not anywhere near as difficult uh, to, to accomplish that goal as it is with a double action gun. And so that's what it really is about to me is having a relatively short trigger press. And it's nice to have that clean break where all of a sudden the trigger just lets off and goes. And then I also like to have a fairly firm reset, a, a, a trigger that's going to press the finger back out um, yeah. to the front. That that helps me shoot faster. End of story. Um, it, it gives me a better gauge and makes sure... And this is really the key to that. It makes sure or helps to ensure that I don't short stroke that trigger. I don't start the next trigger press before the trigger has fully reset. And that's really the key with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of my favorite trigger setups right now is uh, uh, a New York trigger in a Glock with a minus connector in it. And that gives you about the same six pound trigger press that you find in a stock Glock, but it gives it a much firmer reset a drive back to the front because of that heavier spring um and and again here i am shooting a, a six and a half six pound trigger um almost as well as i shoot that pound and three quarter trigger on my my old competition gun which i should probably put up for sale <laughs> now just to clear up though when you talk about mm -hmm. new york trigger mm -hmm. are you talking about the new york state trigger or the new york city trigger uh, there there are actually two different ones i'm talking specifically about the new york one does that make sense, Joe? The New York One trigger. Well, from I've Glock? heard him. I've heard him refute, referred to as the New York State Police trigger, which is seven to eight pounds, and then the New York City trigger, which is twelve pounds. Yeah, they probably have really good hot dogs and pizza in New York City, but that's you know <laughs> now we're now we're driving towards that double action weight again so yeah. um the the connector that i use and and what i would really prefer and and i've got some of these are the old black new york one triggers uh trigger return springs um those are nice those black new york ones with that minus connector that's what i really like so new york one um the the new green ones are okay too but the black are better okay as so I don't know the difference between the state or the city, honestly. As point of clarification, um, there are better hot dogs and pizza in Chicago than in New York. <laughs> oh, I, I will agree with that. And, uh, you know, even better gun laws these days. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's surprising. Who ever thought that? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I guess um, to clear this up for somebody that is not – a hundred percent familiar with what we're talking about. You don't want your trigger pull. I don't want my trigger pull to be so light that I wind up with negligent discharges and I don't want it to be so heavy that to pull the trigger causes me to move the muzzle of the gun off, off Absolutely. my point of aim. Basically, you know, I look at it this way. I need the strength of my grip. You know, when I'm, when I'm gripping the gun, I would like that to be double the the weight of the trigger or better. So if I'm squeezing with, you know, 10, 12, 20 pounds, well, I want that trigger press to be then less 
than half of that. That's that's a ballpark. And yeah. I don't I don't really know how hard I'm squeezing with my hand. Maybe I need to get some kind of a, a squeeze meter or something like that. But but that that squeeze has to be significantly greater than the manipulation of the finger. And that helps us to keep that that gun on target, those sights aligned so that the bullet hits where we want it to hit. Um and it just it just doesn't take that much. I I have a an M and P that Smith and Wesson um provided to me for some testing and evaluation. And I'm I'm a little bit flabbergasted about it as to why they would do this, but it's either an attempt at MA compliance or California compliance, but it's got like an eight and three quarter pound trigger, Mm. but it's a really good trigger. Mm. Why? Because it's not terribly long and it has a a fairly clean break and it just works. No problem. We can shoot that. Now, we have a lot of people that come in and buy the M&P and then they come back looking for the uh, Apex mm-hmm. uh, trigger conversion. I've not tried that. Have you? Um, I have one. I mean, it's fabulous. It, it does a great job of taking up the space just to the left of the left-hand monitor on the desk. It's been sitting in a plastic bag for, I don't know, six or nine months. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to put it in. And again, it just it goes to the idea of what we really need to be able to do is manipulate a trigger. When you become decent at manipulating a trigger, a trigger is a trigger is a trigger is a trigger is a trigger. As long as it's not horrifically long and horrifically yeah. you know, difficult, a big increase in weight as you press, that's a problem. Really long is a problem. As you mentioned, a lot of, of um, movement in the trigger after the shot breaks, that's not necessarily very good. But other than that, it just doesn't matter. If if you're all about getting that that apex trigger kit, go for it, do it, awesome. But I, I don't see it as a necessity anymore. What do you guys think about um, revolvers versus semi-autos for that weight wise? That that is how I became better at yeah. shooting a semi-auto is by spending time on the long and, and relatively good double action trigger presses of my revolvers. Yep. If you and want now, to get better at, at yep. semi-auto, yeah, go with a double-action revolver. It is it works wonders. It it forces that concentration. Yes. Again, I've got to keep the sights aligned. I've got to keep the sights placed on target, and I've got to press smoothly to the rear while I maintain all three of those things. Right, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It really is. And uh, Doc, I would throw my two cents in on that. Uh, you may remember a couple of years ago, I bought three K-frame uh, uh, revolvers, mm-hmm. and the trigger pulls on those were all about eight pounds, and they were wonderful. Mm-hmm. Whereas I pick up a new Smith & Wesson revolver today, the trigger pull won't even register on my scale because my scale top, uh, stops at 12 pounds. Mm-hmm. And any Smith & Wesson I buy uh, has to go in for a, a trigger job to try to get it, you know, below the 12-pound the mark. Mm-hmm. I do recall. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find a varying degree of that, and that's true. Some of the the newer stuff, you know, uh, especially they're putting out commodity, not commodity, but you know what I mean. Bigger sellers, if they want to get it out faster, they don't pay as much as uh, of attention to, I guess, honing it up to a certain degree. Yeah, but, uh, uh, I I find the triggers on out of the box Rugers 
to be much better than out-of-the-box Smith & Wesson's. And in fact, the LCR line, um, Ruger put some time into patenting a new cam to make it as with as less amount of friction uh, as possible. Mm-hmm. And you know, but in the past, would you say it was reversed? That the Rugers were not as good as the Smiths to begin? I mean, you know, ages ago. You know, I, I, I'm not really equipped to answer that because, as you know, I just bought uh, a couple of SP-101s last year. Yeah, yeah. And that was really the first time I had experienced a Ruger double-action trigger. I, I've had single-action Rugers in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, what you know, somebody wants to go out and, and say, well, yeah, okay, I take all of your information to heart. I want uh, a gun that does this. They don't have scales to measure each trigger. Uh, what can they do? Uh, I mean, there's information, you know, where you can go out and read, basically. Yeah. Uh, like what Joe's done here, uh, you know, where he has measured that and, and published it. Any other thoughts? Uh, well, try before you buy, if if you can. Uh, go to a range if, if there's a couple of pistols or, or revolvers um, or revolvers and pistols that you're thinking about buying. If you can get into a range that rents, uh, you know, most of those, see what works well for you. Mm-hmm. Good point. If, if, um, <clears throat> if I could interject about the triggers for women. Yeah. Um and I, I loved all of the things that you said, great in considerations for, for triggers. One of the things that, for me in particular, because I have very, very short fingers, is trigger reach. Yes, um, yes. When it comes to double-stack firearms, 90% of double-stack firearms are too big for me. And I just have to learn how to get around that and make do. Um, but your revolvers, many of them, I just can't reach the thing. The, the trigger mm-hmm. and that combined with them being very heavy makes it uh, extremely difficult for me to yeah. fire a revolver well especially if we're talking about doing more than three cylinders worth of uh, unless the trigger has been worked quite a bit to make yeah. it lighter and smoother so um when it comes to those kinds of things for considering for people with small hands, a lot of times we hear the things like, Oh, well, all the women should have revolvers. Um, that might not be a great consideration for someone with really short, small hands. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that does like uh, Grant brings up uh, a lot that uh, like Smith and Wesson versus say the Ruger in the, what they call the medium large frames, like the 686 and the GP 100 uh, Ruger has a much uh, smaller or shorter trigger reach than the Smith and Wesson does, uh, and for that reason, you know the Ruger may be the better. And they do pretty much. And uh, Joe, you you probably can corroborate this, I guess. But th- don't you feel that that's the case? I mean, even with the the smaller J frames and the SP one hundred one. Yeah, the SP one hundred one is just a really phenomenal. Uh, um, revolver and you know with all revolvers there might be things you could do Melanie like change the grips um, to find a slimmer or a a smaller grip that would allow you to make that trigger reach and and with your double stack pistols if you're if you're talking about a polymer pistol 
and there's a double stack, like, you know, you've got a Glock 19 and you'd like to be able to carry it, but you're just having a problem with the reach. Um, I'll give a plug to Hawkeye Ordnance in Iowa. Um, I've, two of my Glocks are down there right now, um, having uh, the grips reduced and stippled, and they do a phenomenal job of undercutting the trigger guard. And I'll I'll write about these when I uh, when I get them back. But um, and along with that, I would say if you're going to do uh, grip reduction, have it done by a professional that's done it. Um, because I've seen a lot of photos of people who they do it and it wasn't quite enough. And so they go back and they remove some more of the material, still wasn't quite enough. They went back and removed more and, and now they felt it was really good. And then they thought, well, maybe I'll just remove just a little bit more and maybe it will make it even better. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly they've got a, a pistol where the structural integrity of the frame is uh, affected. So I would always recommend having a professional do that. Yeah, my I have a Glock 19 that has had an aggressive grip reduction from um, Bowie Tactical oh. down there in, in Ohio. And um, he has pretty much reduced it as much as it possibly can without um, degrading the structural integrity. And it helped tremendously. Um, so yes, for, for people like small hands like mine, um, a grip reduction is, is certainly the way to go. Um, I wish my trigger was set back just I'm talking, you know, an eighth of an inch would make a huge world of difference. I still can't shoot it as well as I shoot a um, a single yeah. stack, but it, it does absolutely make a world of difference. And I agree, get it done by someone who <laughs> is qualified to do it. And I think now we're getting into the territory where something like an Apex uh, makes a difference because there are some of the Apex kits that modify the trigger reach and so that could be really beneficial good point. yeah and i have an apex in my shield i um the first shield i ever shot did not have an apex trigger in it and um when i bought mine i opted to have the apex put into it because it does take out some of that grittiness that you were talking about and also smooth it down a little bit um i like that it has that really distinct break and that very distinct reset so there's no guesswork involved if did i did i short stroke it um am i to the break yet is it gonna you know so i've really enjoyed the apex like you kind of said paul it's not necessarily necessary i mean if you can run a trigger you can run a trigger um but it does give you a little bit better feedback all good points very good. Anybody want to add anything else to it? Uh, that was a good uh, good idea there. Uh, I, Joe, I was going to say I'd take credit for it and then get, let him talk about it, but uh, that was a good that was a good uh, good topic for tonight. Oh, there was one some uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up. Yes, Doc. please. Um, I just recently had two articles published in Gun Digest magazine. Uh, on the CZ ProTech 1 and the Walther CCP. And they had to do some editing uh, from what I originally submitted, which is fine. Um, that's what editors do is edit and say, you know, you never know when you submit an article um, how much space they've got. They may have to make edits to condense your article a little bit. But 
one of the edits they made in talking about the CCP, um, I was talking about how easy the slide is to rack. And I mentioned that people who have arthritis or some other type of a hand injury um, will find this slide much to their liking. And they changed that to say um, small statured people and females may find this slide to their liking. Mm. And I just want the listenership to know I didn't make that sexist statement uh, about women not being able to work a slide because I know many, many women, I see them in the shop all day long, um, that can work slides just fine. So that didn't come from average Joe. Well said. Because, you know, you're going to be getting some hate mail. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's how I knew uh, um, uh, Melody hadn't read it. Because <laughs> she had slapped you across the internet there. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so when we read it, we'll know, hey, those aren't Joe's words. Not average Joe approved. No. <laughs> very good. Very good. All right. Well, it's a good uh, good show tonight. Um, uh, so we missed uh, Ian and Grant. uh uh, hopefully Grant's uh, sawing logs. I forgot to mention he is on the the left coast. <laughs> so it was like if he got in bed, he got in bed real early. <laughs> he had to wash his hair before he went to sleep. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But uh, at any extent. Um, yeah, it's uh, not so, even 8.30 there yet. That's true. <laughs> I didn't even finish dinner at that point. Oh, well. Uh, but uh, we'll, of course, have them in next time. Uh, well, guys, appreciate it. And uh, we'll uh, talk to you guys uh, coming up soon. Paul, have a good trip to Tennessee. And, hey, thanks. Uh, bring us back some good info. Mm-hmm. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. That'll do it for this episode of the Gun Nation. We appreciate you listening to the program. Go to our webpage at gunnation.us for all things Gun Nation. Melody, Paul, Grant, and Average Joe. Until the next episode, stay armed. Stay polite.